Hello, welcome to the Voices Heard Lives Empowered podcast brought to you by Power. For World Bipolar Day, we speak to Chloe Evans, an independent advocate, about her experience with this condition. We discuss her diagnosis, being detained under the Mental Health Act, what support she has received, becoming a mother, and how she now supports other people with similar conditions as an advocate. I hope you enjoy. Hi Chloe, how are you? I'm great thanks Ben, how are you? I'm good thank you. Today is World Bipolar Day, can you tell me a bit about it and why is it important? Yeah, so today is World Bipolar Awareness Day and actually it falls on today because it, is, it would have been Vincent van Gogh's birthday. He was diagnosed with bipolar or well, after he died, um, so every year this day marks a day where people can raise awareness and try and reduce some of the stigma that surrounds the, the condition bipolar affective disorder. So in terms of your journey and when you were first diagnosed, when did you notice that you were different and what were you sort of feeling and how did your behaviour change? So actually, I was as young as about 13 or 14 when I began to sort of feel like things were a bit different for me. So when I was that age, I began to hear voices and it was sort of like a voice that was behind me talking to me, not like a voice in my head. And my mood would dip or become very elevated, which obviously now I know are, are symptoms of what is known as mania and, and depression. And yeah, so it wasn't until I was about 15 or 16 that I then went to seek medical help and I went to my GP, but I wasn't completely honest about what I had been experiencing. I actually didn't say the full extent of, of it and disclose that I was hearing voices or... What was the reason why you didn't want to talk about it? Because I didn't know anything about it, you know, there mm. wasn't anything in the media, there wasn't anything really like that really kind of talked about what these things meant. I think I I never, I didn't know what it was at all. And obviously there was a stigma. And we're talking, what, sort of 14, 15 years ago. And, you know, we've come a long way in, this, in that time. But there is still a way to go, but we have come a long way. And back when I was that age, it just wasn't something that was ever mentioned. You never, you had those lessons in school, didn't you? Those sort of social... PSE lessons or whatever yeah. they were called and they would touch on things like bereavement drug and alcohol abuse things like that but mental health just wasn't mentioned so I didn't know anything about it and obviously the stigma that surrounded people that hear voices made me terrified to tell anybody let alone a doctor you know not even friends or family I was just so frightened to to, to tell anybody about what I was experiencing Yes, definitely. And I, I think it's difficult because you're at that age when you were developing through puberty. So I would imagine it was difficult to know what were the symptoms of maybe a mental illness and what was natural growing up. I think that's a very good point, Ben, because actually a lot of things when you're that age are put down to growing up. And sometimes maybe it's slightly more than that. Maybe it isn't. Who, who knows? But it's important that, you know, if you think that there is something not right, then just talk about it because you, there's no right or wrong answer. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's important to, to voice what people are experiencing and to get those conversations going. Could you talk a bit about when your condition reached crisis point and how it was for you actually being detained under the Mental Health Act? Yeah, so, 
yeah, so after I went to the GP at 15, 16, they put me on antidepressants. Now, obviously, they didn't work for me because antidepressants are designed to, you know, lift your mood. And obviously, if you lift somebody's mood with bipolar, you're, you could potentially lift it too much. And obviously, then you're in a, in a danger zone. And it wasn't till I was sort of halfway through my A-levels that things really did, as you say, hit crisis point for me. And I was referred to the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, um, who eventually assessed me. And then it wasn't until like just after my 18th birthday that they gave me a diagnosis of bipolar affective disorder. Uh, I had absolutely no idea what that meant. I had never heard of that before. I can remember being given this being told this and going home and thinking, well, I have no idea what that means. Is it is it curable? Will it, will it be forever? Is What does it mean for what can I still go to university? You know, all the things that were important to me at that time. Uh, and, yeah, and I eventually did go to university. And when I, whilst I was there, I was sectioned for the first time after a really difficult started off as a manic episode and I will describe mania and depression in a minute for people that aren't aware of what I mean by these terms but I had a really horrible and severe manic episode I mean I ended up buying three cars in one day because you bought three cars in one day I did yeah I never picked one up actually maybe I should chase that up (laughs) but um yeah so I I just remember looking out my window and thinking I want another car when I bought one and then I remember looking out my window again was that your thought process where you thought it was normal just thinking right I just want another car I'll go get one there was nothing in your head saying no that's ridiculous you know you've already bought a car that sort of brings me to describing mania I guess because when you're well for me everybody is different and I will kind of definitely kind of use that as a caveat because I know that you know everybody's different that, that experiences mania and depression but for me mania really made me feel euphoric. I mean, people describe it as like overexcitement, overactivity, pressured speech, um, all these things. But actually, I don't think that does it justice, Ben. I really don't. It's so much more than that. I felt like I could do anything. And there are no consequences to anything. Yeah, I could buy three cars. I could afford three cars. I don't know space for three cars. What would I do with three cars? But there was no... I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't thinking rationally about what that would mean. Do you um, sort of lose your inhibitions? Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. You lose every sort of... It's Yeah, you, you, yeah, you def, yeah definitely. There's just no consequence to anything in life. And I felt really and truly, and this will sound, you know, I don't want to use the word, but it's definitely going to sound quite out there. But it, I felt like a product of God. I felt like I could achieve anything and do anything. Nothing was beyond the realms of possibility at that time. I had totally lost touch with reality. I was hearing voices. I was having delusions. I was talking very fast. I didn't sleep for a long time, a long time. Like, I'm talking probably weeks. You know, and it, yeah, and it got, and obviously what goes up, I say, has to come back down, and it tends to not level itself off. It tends to crash back down with bipolar, and, you know, you then enter into a really severe period of depression, and I did after that. I got sectioned um, in the January of that year after having a very difficult, you know, few months, Christmas and New Year, and then I got and I got sectioned in the January, and I was in hospital, and whilst I was there, I just crashed into this period of depression. I could not get out of bed. Uh, I didn't want to speak to anybody. I didn't want to do anything. I found no enjoyment in anything. I found 
no motivation to even brush my teeth. It was, oh, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. It was something interesting that you said before we uh, started recording the podcast where you said that maybe in the sort of mainstream, people might think bipolar is you're happy, what you're really happy one day and then you're really sad the next. And that's a, a misconception. And that w- the, when your mania, it almost drives you to a crisis point. There is no coming down. It's just a crash. Yeah, oh, definitely. So, you know, mania can last untreated and without intervention for weeks, if not months. You know, it can, it can last a very, very, very long time. And it's not a case of being happy one minute, sad the next. It's you're up there for a considerable length of time and then you're down for a considerable, considerable length of time. And it takes a long time to sort of things to be quote, level, leveled out, if you see what I mean. But that, that is a huge misconception. It, I mean, there is such thing as we won't go into sort of the specifics. I mean, my diagnosis is bipolar affective t- disorder type 1 with psychotic features, because I obviously have the psychosis element within my illness, as I've mentioned, the voices and the delusions. But, you know, there are such things as rapid cycling, where you do kind of go from one to the next. And I won't go into mass specifics about it, but, you know, the... Bipolar in, at its core, you know, the, the, the periods of the episodes last, last for a long time. Did you have an advocate when you were detained under the Mental Health Act? Yeah, so this is really interesting, actually. So the first time I was ever sectioned at that, that time I've just mentioned, um, they put me on a type of medication and I actually had a really adverse side effect to it. And it made my limbs feel like they were burning. It was horrible, honestly. It was awful. And I was telling the staff in the hospital, and they were saying to me, "Oh, it's all part of your delusion, you know. Oh, you know, you, you know, you, you keep taking the medication, you'll feel better, blah, you know, things like that." And I was thinking, "No, I'm actually really experiencing this. I mean, if it, you know, and obviously at that time I had had." Um, feelings of like bugs crawling on my skin obviously that were delusions and stuff so I understand the difference it's hard to make but it continued to get worse anyway I remember this lady knocking on my door of of my bedroom in the hospital and she introduced herself and she explained that she was an advocate and what that meant and for those of you that you know aren't aware advocacy is you know somebody independent from the hospital somebody independent from uh, people giving you treatment who is there to just help you voice what you want and your wants and wishes and anything, you know, sorry, any issues surrounding care and treatment if it's um, to do with a mental health setting. And I thought, wow, yeah, actually, because I had no, I was in, I was away at university at the time. My, my family weren't around. I had a few friends, but obviously, you know, they were at work or, or uni or anything. So I don't really have anybody that could attend any kind of meetings with the doctors to discuss the medication. So I said, yeah, that'd be great. Anyway, she came along with me to the meeting with the doctor and helped me to voice that this was real for me. You know, this pain in my legs and my arms was real. And they actually said, yeah, it is a, it is a side effect to it, you know. And, yeah, they changed the medication and I got better much quicker. And, and, I, and I, you know, and I was discharged from hospital and continued my recovery at home. And I thought to myself when I got home, wow, what a good job, you know. What, what, what a good thing to do, helping people who are in a very vulnerable place. I mean, I like to think of myself as being fairly articulate, but when you're in that place, I can honestly tell you, when you hear those doors banging behind you and your liberties taken from you and you're not quite sure why, you're confused, you're on different medication, it's scary. It's really scary. So having somebody that's not part of all of that coming to support you is, is great. And I thought, 
do you know what I want to do that <laughs> I think that's really inspirational how you got diagnosed with this condition and you've been through a lot of difficulties or trauma associated with it and then from that you were able to come out the other side and now you can use your experience to support others because you are now a mental health advocate could you talk a bit about that and how you use your experience to support other people yeah of course i I absolutely love my job. I would have been doing it six years this year, and I absolutely love it. And I love it because, you know, one thing that I really dislike about, you know, what I hear from my clients who are in hospital is that when people lose all hope and they think because they've been in that situation, that's it, you know, they can't lead the life that they want to lead. I would totally say to anybody that's just not the case. Like with any illness, any physical illness, it, you know, it's just the same. You make a full recovery, you can live life to the, you know, to the fullest and, and to your full potential, whatever that may be for different people. You know, I often share, you know, not you know, not too many details, but I often share with my clients that I've been in the hospital because I feel like it really empowers them to you know, realise that there is life after it, you know, people are normally shocked, <laughs> you know, I don't know what the sort of, like, stereotypical person to have been sectioned or in a psychiatric unit looks like, but people are shocked, and I find that so strange, because it's so, you know, this can happen to anybody, Ben, you know, this, you know, being in, being sectioned or being under the mental health act can happen to anybody at any time, you know, people going through difficult times in life, needing that bit of extra help and support, needing that time in hospital, it, it really can happen to anybody in any walk of life. And I have such a passion for, obviously, you know, trying to reduce the stigma um, around mental health conditions, but also giving a voice to vulnerable people, because vulnerable people, anybody has, can have a vulnerability at any time, and to give people that extra support when they need it is brilliant. And obviously, with my job, if it gets to a point where we're in a meeting and the client's doing all the talking, my job, in my opinion, is, well, you know, I've done a good job because they've obviously got to that point where they can express what they want without me, you know, having to do it on their behalf or without my support. They might need slight, a slight bit of prompting or reminding of issues that they've wanted to raise, but it's great. I absolutely love my job. Everybody should be an advocate. <laughs> and I think your, your experience really places you well to build that trust with the people you support because you're better placed to empathize because you've had such a similar experience and they can see that and they can see that it almost provides them hope that recovery is possible so I think it's brilliant and I'm sure it makes you very effective at your job because I know that could that could be always a danger when you go into these wards it might bring back sort of negative memories and sort of some traumatic experience for you. There's only one that, uh, situation that really stands out to me, and it was from, uh, you know, uh, I was supporting a client, and I remember his uh, his mum was in the meeting at the ward round with the doctor, and she was saying, Ben, honestly, exactly what my mum was saying, the person I was section. And I thought, you know, when you just think, wow, you know, because actually I keep it very separate, and, and, I'm, and I've become quite good at that, but... It's actually more about how it affects family that that affects me because I have, although I've obviously thought about it and spoken to my family over the years about how they've been affected by what I've been through and how they've seen, you know, when they've seen me unwell, it's actually not something I've ever given that much thought to. And I remember coming away from that meeting thinking, wow, 
it really hit home that actually these situations don't just affect the person, it affects the whole family. There's a whole chain that goes on. Um, and, you know, it's not easy. Support is so necessary to recovery. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of a lot of people that have been in, in hospital and suffered, and not only in hospital, but have suffered full stop from mental health conditions when they say how appreciative, you know, I am, and I'm sure other people are, of people that do give support. One thing that, you know, and actually is a good point to make on a day like today, one point that I've always sort of really felt is that I don't think people know what to say when you're in that position. There's like, you know, people think, oh my gosh, she's in a psychiatric or that I don't know what to say, so don't say anything. Whereas actually that's the worst thing you do. Oh, hi, you know, you know, maybe not hi, how are you? But, oh, have you seen this on the TV? Or did you watch EastEnders last night, Chloe? Or a, a funny meme or something, you know? Just something that you, friends or family would do anyway. It's just, you cannot imagine how much that lifts people's spirits and makes, you know, and aids recovery. It doesn't have to be a big, you know, you still have your same humour and your same likes and dislikes. You still want to watch the same programmes. It might be clouded by the illness, but... It really would help recovery. It's and just... it's a case of not letting the illness define you. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I was worried, that, you know, because obviously, you know, Chloe with bipolar, I didn't want to sort of be known as that I'm a person in my own right who's achieved things outside of, of this. But also, you know, and then when I became a mother in June 2019, you know, you then lose your identity a bit there because then you become all you ever talk about is babies, you feel like, whereas actually... You know, you are more of, you know, more than that. And yeah, you're right. You, you shouldn't let it define you. An incredible aspect to your story, Chloe, is how you became a mother for the first time dealing with this condition. Could you talk a bit about that and how having bipolar affected you becoming a mother for the first time? Yeah, so my daughter was born, as I said, in June 2019. And when I found out I was pregnant, I had actually only been out of hospital most recent admission I've, I've had for two months so obviously I was at a very vulnerable stage and it was a very difficult time but actually I, the support I had from not only professional support but from friends and family was great I know I was able to stay on my medication whilst I was pregnant because the risk kind of outweighed the benefit of coming off it um, you know there was sort of minimal risk to my unborn child so and then when she was born I was at, you know a very high risk of postpartum psychosis or depression, which did worry me. And, you know, I didn't, I, you know, obviously I don't want to ever go back to hospital, but I certainly didn't want to go to hospital with my, you know, new baby. Um, so, but I found that, you know, most mental health services across the country now have designated perinatal mental health teams who specialise in women who are pregnant or have just given birth. Um, and they, they're there to support people. And I, I think... You know, pregnant women and new mums are a group of people who maybe feel less inclined to talk about how they're feeling, whereas actually it was the best thing I ever did. Although I didn't have full-blown psychosis, I did suffer from depression after I had my daughter. And actually talking about it and and about how I was feeling and getting that extra support, it wasn't, you know, it, I wasn't admitting defeat and I wasn't t admitting that I couldn't cope because that's not what it's about. You know, there are illnesses and there is support out there to treat and help those illnesses. It's not about whether you can cope or not. And I think that's a misconception that some women have. It's not that at all. It's, it is about you know being able to access support that you are entitled to if that's what you're going through. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and I think, I mean, just based on personal experience, I think many mothers put a lot of pressure on themselves to cope oh, yeah. and feel like they have to. And I can't imagine how complicated and difficult it's made by having an actual mental health condition like bipolar and how that might affect your own perception of, of being a mother. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about so many of the different aspects we've already mentioned in just so much more detail, but I'm just wary of time. But could you just finish by kind of explaining what people can do when they are affected by bipolar, whether it's a actual individual who has the condition or it's a family member or friend that wants to sort of support that individual? Where should they get support and information from and, and how can they access that? Yeah, of course. So there are so many great charities out there with great information, great fact sheets on the illness, the symptoms and what to look out for. You know, people like Mind, Rethink, even Bipolar UK, you know, some great charities out there. But I would say to anybody, if there is, if you or somebody that you know or are caring for or you feel are suffering from an illness like bipolar or a mental health illness, in general, the first point of call will be, you know, obviously a GP because, and I'm very much aware that, you know, GP appointments are short and in some areas sparse, but it is so important that these things get treated before they hit crisis point. Um, You know, there are, you know, I know there's a lot of things in the news, especially recently about, you know, services, mental health services across the country. you know, maybe being overrun or whatever, but there are services out there and I would compel anybody to access them. And, you know, if you do know anybody who is in hospital with bipolar disorder or any other condition, obviously, you know, you may be entitled to an advocate, you know, look into that because that would be, you know, an independent person to support somebody whilst they're spending time in hospital or even potentially in the community to help people access services in the community. There are some advocacy services out there that will do that. But I think, you know, the first point of call is always a, a trained clinical professional who would then refer to the relevant services but obviously there are great fact sheets and information and lots of people are talking about these issues more and more now in the media in the you know in the news and everything which is great because I'm you know I'll be honest and say when I was struggling in the very beginning that that just wasn't the case so now you know I'm very pleased to to say there are people who are getting the conversations going but you know there is support out there don't ever feel like you're on your own um and yeah access it as quickly as possible great chloe that was really interesting and i'm sure it was very inspirational for um our listeners and yeah that thank you for speaking to me and thank you for sharing your no journey problem. thank you very much and happy world bipolar day yeah and to you thank you chloe thank you